Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abusive power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy Irby and Phoebe will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pulse Check Podcast. I'm Hehe. I'm Mandy. And today we are diving into the horrendous and dangerous work conditions that an RNLC in Colorado experienced during COVID. This episode may be super triggering if you were on the front lines of COVID as well. So please listen with respect to yourself and your mental health. You can always pause and come back, but I'm done chit-chatting. Elsie, welcome to the show. We're really happy to hear your story. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share. Yay, we're glad you're here. Thanks. I'll start from the beginning. I worked for a, I won't say any names, but a very large hospital system um, when COVID all started, um, like probably the largest in our country. And I was working at one of their hospitals in Colorado. And um, as anyone in the medical field knows, staffing and patient volumes and everything in the hospital just kind of got turned upside down on its head during COVID. And there was so much talk about like, you know, is staff going to get any kind of incentive for like working through this or, you know, what, how are hospitals going to like try to take care of their staff for like everything that they're going through. And what I felt like at the hospital I was working at at the time was that the opposite happened. And I think that that was true for like a lot of, a lot of hospitals all all over the country. So um, there were a couple of things in particular that I, that just grinded my nerves and that I feel like need to be spoken about because I think this happened to a lot of nurses and a lot of, you know, CNAs, respiratory therapists, just hospital staff all over. And it needs to be talked about. People need to like be aware of, what was going on. So um, one of the things that I think a moment for me in healthcare and this whole crisis was um, we were having a staff meeting. So I worked on labor and delivery and we would have, we were having a staff meeting sitting at the nurse's station, which was very weird. Our CNO came up to um, 
the floor, or our ACNO, so our associate chief nursing officer, came up to the floor for our staff meeting. Not a normal person to have at your staff meeting either, unless like something is hitting. <laughs> so we're all kind of like, why are we at the nurses' station? Why is the CNO here? Like, what's going on? And she sits down and she shares with us that um, the company would not be giving staff raises this year or last year for 2020. And she's like very solemn and serious. And she's like, you know, this was a really hard decision for us to make. But, you know, for the first time in over 50 years, the company's books are in the red because of what's happening with COVID. I'm, I can't tell the story without laughing because it's like so hard to take it seriously. <laughs> um, so she says... For the first time in 50 years, the company's books are in the red, and we had to make some really hard choices about how we were going to cushion that. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, this is a multi-billion dollar company that's been profitable for the last 50 years, and you're sitting here telling everyone that you didn't budget well enough to give your staff, like, a minimal raise during a complete healthcare crisis. Like, that's the least you could do is give like the normal, I don't know, 1% or whatever they usually give. That's like the ultimate gaslighting, right? Like that is like literally. the ultimate, like F you to the face. We literally yeah. don't think you're smart enough to see beyond our words to you. And we're sitting in the nurse's station. Like we can't, we're not going to like go apeshit. Because normally like, I mean, like nurses are sassy. Like we would have been in the conference room like, I'm sorry, what the hell did you just say? But like, no one's going to say that out at the desk in front of everybody. And so then she goes on saying, like, how <laughs> this was a decision that they had to make to avoid laying people off and basically said, we chose not to give you raises, but you get to keep your job. You're welcome. Wow. What is happening here? Like, am I being punked? A 1% raise is also they're still making money on you. Right. Okay. Because that's not inflation. So they are keeping you poorer mm -hmm. and so the longer you work somewhere and you get a one to three percent raise you're actually getting poorer right okay so they're saying instead of keeping you poor we're going to stay richer and we would hate to have to let so they threatened you right if we can't do this nicely we're going to have to lay you off but that's not right. also saying that we're not going to fire you it's not like a promise Right. Also, just a fun little statistic, the same company netted $3.75 billion in profits in 2020. That's where it is. Yeah. Yes, we can look up those numbers because that is fucking false. Right. And so because where is that money going? Their right? money so is making question. money. Their money yeah. sits oh, yeah. and makes money and makes money and makes money. Like It is not us nurses that are keeping them from making their fucking money. Yeah, no. they projected 3.5 billion in profits for 2020 and they ended up with 3.75. They made more money than they thought they would. It's, but, you know, they're like, sorry, no raises for you. And so, like, not only were they not giving people raises and saying, like, but you get to keep your job, they, so, like, it seems counterintuitive because you hear all this stuff about, like, hospital beds are full, there's COVID patients everywhere, but volumes in other areas like the OR and the ER and like labor and delivery were down and they were, they would put people like low volume on call. So like, 
you know, you, we don't need you for work tonight, so you can't come in and get paid, but you have to sit at home and be on call and be ready to come in if we need you kind of thing. And you have to PTO for that or like not take pay at all. So your options are use up your PTO or don't get paid for that shift. And people are getting put on call so frequently that like they didn't have any PTO left to use. So like there was no, nothing, there was no way to make up for this. And people were getting put on call like two to three, even four times a pay period, like that were full time employees. It was insane. He's jaw dropped and we don't need to pick up, pick it up off the floor because that is a great like a meter for consumers hearing about this because I know about this and I wasn't even at the bedside in 2020 for the Mm -hmm. most part. So I know about this because folks have been talking about it. And also this isn't new. This isn't a new concept. Mm -hmm. Every time a pandemic or a pseudo, like a hopeful pandemic, like SARS and, you know, things like that would happen or just low census labor and delivery has census fluctuations. Um, and they've been like scooting this. What is that metaphor? They're like pushing the line and they push the line. And so they're like, mm-hmm. oh, they don't actually bitch that much when they're at home. They just bitch in their annual eval. We could do it again. And so we knew this was kind of coming. We saw it, but like this magnitude is out outrageous. Can you explain a little bit about what it means to use your PTO in a forced capacity and what that might mean? Like when you're staring down the barrel of using your PTO, what would that mean in the future for you? So like the way PTO works at my hospital and most hospitals that I've been at is like you accrue it based on how many hours you work. And for us, our PTO was like all in one bank, basically. So you don't have like sick time and PTO time and vacation time. It's all in one. So if you get sick, if your kid gets sick, if you, you know, have an emergency, if you want to take vacation, that's all in the same bucket. And when you are put on call, you, if you want your paycheck to be what it normally is, then you have to use your PTO to cover that loss. And when you get to a point where you're just like using it up and using it up to be able to make your normal pay and pay your bills, like you, like I knew a lot of nurses who ended up with zero PTO balance and there's no way to get that back. But it was like, you're between a rock and a hard place because you either have to take less pay than you're used to having and then your paycheck is short and you're you know living in a tough financial situation or you like run down your pto and then you have nothing so then you still i'm like when people would go to the you know the directors and the cnos and be like i don't have many pto like how can you force me to take time off and they're just like well sorry now you know through you work a year through a freaking pandemic and then you can't take a vacation because you don't have any PTO. I was like, oh, sorry, we can't approve that. You don't have any PTO left. Or if you need to like go home for a family emergency, like whatever. Like if you get sick, like you have nothing left because you. Accru- I think I was accruing six hours of PTO every two weeks, something like that. What an like- amazing rock and hard place they've created. You can't mm-hmm. get time off unless you work, and right. we can't. We're going to say you can't work. So we're not firing you, but... But also yeah. you can't like get another job that's more dependable because you do have to be available for us at all times. <laughs> like, you have, when, you're, when you're on call, like when you're scheduled to work and we put you on call, you don't just like have that day back. You just like have to wait at home. And don't worry, like we'll pay you $2 an hour to sit there. <sighs> like, I don't know. It's the call system to me, like the on-call system is so popular. Some hospitals aren't like that. Some hospitals will just cancel you, but 
the one I was at was like, you're at our beck and call. So what if you get COVID? So the one thing they did have is, and I think a lot of places have this, is like COVID pay. If you tested positive, then they would pay you like COVID no pay. No fucking way. <clears throat> yeah. But, oh, here's a cute thing. So <laughs> I could talk all day about this. So um, if you called out sick because you had symptoms of COVID, you weren't allowed to come to work and you had to get tested, right? They are. Um, you're, you had to get tested through the hospital. You couldn't go get a rapid test somewhere because they wanted your test in their system. But their test wasn't the rapid test. It took several days to come back. So d- any shifts that you missed between the initial time you were out and the time your test came back, those had to be covered by your PTO if, like, while you were out. If you came back positive, then it could be covered by COVID pay. But if you came back negative, then you were fucked and you better get back to work. And that was your PTO time. So that (laughs) discourages you from getting tested. Right. Because you could sit at home for four days, not get paid, still have to go to work, still feel like shit. Tests are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. (gasps) And then if you were COVID negative, then like they were like, well, we forced you to be out for X number of days while this test was pending, but that's not going to be covered by COVID, even though we would let you come back to work. (laughs) That made me really mad. I was like, wait, what? Like, they should get COVID pay while the test is pending. If they're forced to be out to be tested and you don't have rapid tests, like, whose fault is that? How many people were just, like, two middle fingers see you on the other side? Not enough. See you in hell. <laughs> Me. Oh, um, yeah. Right, because um, everything is in flux. Like, everything is unknown. And yeah, and we just talked about they keep you in that, like, poor situation. Mm-hmm they manipulate and they gaslight and they tell you that there's nowhere to go. And they tell you that everywhere is doing the same thing. So Mm -hmm. point of this podcast is not everywhere might be doing the same thing. The grass might be greener and oh my God, like they're treating people like shit. That's really, really, really dangerous when they dissuade. Is that the word I'm thinking of when they've always dissuaded us from coming to work sick, right? Cause you have to use your PTO. So if you're planning on having a baby, if you're planning on going on a trip, seeing family out of state, you have to take PTO, you come to work sick so that you have time to take off, especially mm-hmm. if it's healthcare, if you're having a surgery or something like that, because you need to be out and they won't pay you. And then you won't be able to pay your medical bills or whatever. So they've always encouraged coming to work sick. Just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So now it's come to work. Possibly if you have COVID symptoms, they better be bad enough for you not to get paid for a week. Cause that potentially mm-hmm. could be your reality. What, like what's the, what's it like there during this? I mean, just like, it was horrible and nobody's, everyone was just pissed off all the time because everyone's broke and unhappy and miserable. And they were like, you know, trying to like make up hours by floating people all over the hospital. So you had like labor and delivery nurses who had never set foot in an ICU in their life being like helpers in the ICU. Like, I'm sorry, what? I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing with these patients. And they're like, it's okay. You don't have a patient assignment. Just like be a helper, whatever. Like it was so, they tried to train, train. I say train in like air quotes because it was like two days of training postpartum nurses to take care of they turn the postpartum unit into a, cl- a clean uh, post-op 
unit for elective surgery patients because it's like a non-COVID unit to put elective surgery patients when they open back up the OR for elective cases. And they were like, come on, baby nurses can take care of them, right? They do GYN surgery sometimes. That makes them qualified to take care of every surgical patient in the hospital. And the mom baby nurses were like, we're more than happy to help, but what? Like, we're not, we've not been trained to take care of an ortho patient or like a neurosurgery patient. And that's like what was happening. And they were like, we're giving you your hours back. You're welcome. They were like, this is what we meant. We want safety. <laughs> and they, the, and to be clear, hospitals are incentivized to get those surgeries back inside they don't actually they're not actually set up to care for mostly sick people they're set up to care for mostly well people right and the elective surgeries make money exactly so elective surgeries er being used as a um, primary care facility um the even like bigger surgeries that aren't necessarily elective can bring in money for the hospital and like specialties Mm -hmm. specialty departments. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. when all of that becomes sick with COVID, they're scrambling to catch up. And so they need to bring back these. So they need yeah. to rotate nurses, which is, you know, if you look at it and nurses are just and like staff are just like human pawns. Shuffling people all over the hospital. Like at one point we had COVID patients in every Every everywhere, like it was insane. I mean, they turned the PACU into a COVID ICU. Like it was, like they're not kidding when they say there's no beds in the end. Like it was full, but there weren't that many ICU nurses in our mm-hmm. hospital. We had one in the ICU. Like it wasn't that big of a hospital. And so you know they were like training, trying to train OR nurses to work in the ICU because there were no OR cases. They were trying to you know PACU nurses were doing like all everybody was places they weren't supposed to be, and nobody knew what the hell they were doing. And, you know, then you're like, oh, we don't need you today. You can go home, get called off, whatever. Like, but it was the most disorganized, dysfunctional, hot mess I've ever experienced in my entire life. It was miserable. People are like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, this isn't even real anymore. <laughs> can I ask what other types of professionals were doing? What other staff, like, what? were the surgeons doing what were the physicians doing what were the techs doing i you know i assume probably a lot of the techs were getting i know a lot of the techs were losing hours like scrub techs because we would have scrub techs floating to lnd to scrub like c-sections and stuff from other units and they were just getting like same thing low volume like crazy the surgeons i have no idea i mean who knows i don't i mean I guess you gotta have, I don't know. Like I, you gotta have doctors around even if there's no surgeries, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that they experience the same kind of issues. Got underpaid, overworked, disorganized, chaotic unit, the soft yeah. people scared, possibly yeah. sick. Cause he wants to be off work for a swab. <laughs> yeah. It's nope. the sick part for me. So Elsie, can you talk to us about your PPE? What was that like? Did you have adequate PPE? Were you reusing it? What were your admins doing to keep you and your colleagues safe? (laughs) So the PPE story is also really fun. Um, I think, you know, like most places, we were reusing N95s, face shields, that kind of thing. Um, You got one face shield, write your name on it. It's yours, whatever. They, um, 
say one time, this is the total aside, but I think it's really funny. Um, this hospital is very anti-nursing union for obvious reasons. And um, think what you want about unions, whatever, like that's a topic for another day. But they one time got all these face shields donated to them by like Ford Motor Company, handed them out to all the staff and not a week later took them all back because they realized that they were donated by like the Ford Workers Union. <laughs> because they didn't want any kind of like union propaganda, air quotes again, in the nurse's hands. Oh my. Like a life-saving yeah. face shield. Yeah. And they were like, oh, it's because there might be like latex in them. We found out that they were made with the latex. No. We have to them all back. What is happening? So anyway, anyway, but um, yeah, so getting, you know, this is your one face shield. This is your one N95 and you have to use it until it's soiled, basically. And they would, um, they would have us like drop off our N95 at the end of our shift. You'd wear the same one the whole shift, drop it off at the end of the shift. They would sterilize it. I don't really know, like UV lights, I have no idea. And then you'd go pick it back up before your next shift. And you had to like sign your name and your like employee number on this paper. And if you needed a new one, you had to go to this like special room at the beginning of your shift. And like, it was, yeah, it was like checking it out. Like you were, like it was a library book. And what constituted soiled? Like what was dirty enough or used enough that you were then able to what? Like sign up for a new one, request a new one and be unsure that it, you were actually going to get a new one. What did that process look like? So I guess soiled is like, you know, there's blood on it or body fluid. I mean, but then if you did, they're like, well, where's your face? Yeah. Yeah, no like, doubt. Oh Why God. are you putting your face so close to someone's ass? You took right. it back because it was donated by a union, right? Right. <laughs> I don't have <laughs> a face shield. You took it. Shields, but that was like so wild. But yeah, I mean, it was okay. So full disclosure, we totally had like a couple boxes of the ninety packs like squirreled away in a locker in the back. Like crazy that you would have to do that. But you know, I mean, it it did. We were kind of like, okay, at what point? Like, how many days do we wear this? Because the guidance would change so frequently, too. Like, sometimes it was, like, you know, wear it three times, and then it was wear it for a week, and then it was wear it till it was soiled. So we were all just kind of like, what? And the other thing I found really interesting was that, like, you get fit tested for an N95, like, the first time, like, with a brand new N95, and then you wear it. But they never, like, fit tested us to see how many times that N95 was still good for. Like, you have no idea after you've worn it for 12 straight hours or however long, like, for a 12-hour shift, if you put it on the next day after it's sterilized, does it still work? It doesn't, by the way. Right. And I I had to get fit tested for a travel contract later, and I just took in a 95 that I already had, and I tasted that very likely right away. I had worn that thing once. Once. And I was like... Yeah, so I'm like, okay, so for months now, like, staff have been walking around in reused N95s that are not protecting them. Nope. You're not allowed to get a new one. If you want to get a new one, you're made to feel like you have to, you know, someone's watching you. They also had this, like, this was my the cheesiest thing. They had this position that someone would be assigned to every day, every shift, called the PPE czar. The keeper of the PPE. <laughs> I can't make this fast. And they would, their job, the PPE, all the PPE was like in a little locked room that nobody could get to. And the PPE star had the key and they would carry shit around on a cart, unit to unit. And I mean, like, 
masks, like a box of regular surgical masks. We weren't even allowed to keep those on our units anymore. We were only because we had an OR, but like normal staff were not. Regular masks, N95, I don't mean normal staff. No, I, I mean, know. Like, I mean, like, know. Jesus, like there is no right. difference. We're all at risk here. So they would carry around like masks, N95, face shields, wipes, like cleaning solution. Yeah. Like that was not kept on the unit and they would like disperse it out. So they would be like, do you need anything? And you'd be like, yeah, I need purple wipes. And they'd go sign your name and your employee number on this list. And we'll give you one container of purple wipes. Which are too big to fit in your pocket. So like, is that like your own? No, like the whole unit. Not one. Because how many purple wipes do I go through wiping down a whole peanut ball? Right. I'm thinking back to like my last uh, checkoffs where you do your annual in-services and I would go through multiple gloves and pretend gowns, masks, hats, footies, booties, all the things that you put on because you had to prove that you knew how to put things. It was bullshit, but it also yeah. was like, we have to make sure that everyone knows how to use these. That's how disposable they were Right. in January, 2020. Right. And now suddenly we're wearing them for... So no, they don't give a shit. They're just like, wear it for the next six months. You'll be fine. (laughs) So I remember the day and like those three days. Do you remember when it, the CDC changed the airborne precaution to droplet? Yeah. And people were like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Like, I just remember there being so much like, it, it was like a constant sense of like panic because nobody knew like what they were supposed to be doing. Nobody, healthcare workers like wanted to be like, okay, but can we just do what's the safest thing? Like, can I just, if we don't know for sure, can I just like wear the N95 in the hospital? Like, mm, that wouldn't be appropriate. Like, you know, I, and it felt like it was like all the time changing. Like if they have this, 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 and this, then you can wear your own 95. Oh gosh. You know what I mean? Like it was like chaos. It was like we had signs on the door that were like checklists of like which symptoms does the patients have? And are they on oxygen? And do they have aerosolizing procedures? And if not, then you can wear a regular mask. But if they do, then you get to wear your own 95. What constitutes an aerosolizing procedure? Da, 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 da. Like absolute bullshit. Like patient yeah. symptoms change by the minute. Also, they don't always know, you know, what they're yeah. like. They could be like, no, I don't have a cough. And they're coughing up a lung. Ma'am, you coughed COVID right into the back of my throat. Right. And right. I didn't wear an N95 to walk in here because the sign said not to, because I don't have a fucking nurse brain. Right. Your nurse yeah. brain would say, put on the mask. Like, the safest yeah. thing to do is overcompensate. Right. right. Protect it's myself safe. because I can't get sick because if I do, I won't get sick. <laughs> and I will lose my house if like worst case, middle worst case. Right. There's still a lot of bad going on and it's very real when you're at the bedside. Mm -hmm. It was scary. And I just remember being so pissed off that like they were telling us like, don't wear your N95. Don't wear adequate PPE. Like it was just like, why would you not want to keep your staff safe? Like why? I I can't wrap my head around this. Like figure it the fuck out. Figure out how to get enough shit to protect your staff. Like you're a multi-billion dollar company. Like figure it out. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like I was livid. Like just, I mean, it was just like the hospital just like, you know, spitting on you while you're down. Like it was just like, this is the worst thing you've ever been through. And we just really care less about whether or not you're protected. We mostly care about like on the bottom line. 
and that was like the most blatant example of it that I've ever seen. It was insane. So you could so. tell what their priorities were. Oh yeah. Profits I mean, of the people. $3.75 billion later. What's to keep them from doing the exact same thing? It worked. Right. So like, that's why I feel like it's so important to like talk about this because it's not okay. Like it's, but the way that like hospital culture so often works is like once they get away with something once, like it becomes the new norm. It's just like, oh, well, this is what we did. So this is the way we do it now. And it's like, no, this is what we did because we were like fucked. Like this is not the way that things should happen, but it's, it's so normal for that to just be like, this is the thing now going forward. And I think that, you know, hospital staff and you know people that aren't working in healthcare like everyone needs to know that this is going on because this is not like an appropriate way to treat people it's people should be able to feel safe when they go to work especially when they're like taking care of people who are sick and dying and like it's just I don't know it's insane like I do not want this to become the norm for healthcare workers like I don't want this to be everyone's future and I think I just think that people need to stand up for themselves and like speak out and if I mean I don't know I like I'm like if your staff if your hospital's not going to protect you then just leave <laughs> just leave I don't know they don't deserve good nurses or anybody I keep saying nurses because I'm a nurse but yeah nurses CNAs RTs doctors like anybody they don't deserve them if you're not going to protect your staff and like literally with like bare minimum safety, like you don't deserve them. They should leave. So uh, big businesses that use big machinery have to comply with lots of regulations and safety. Mm-hmm. Like if this machine can cut somebody's head off, like you need to have all these in-services and all these things and it's machines. Yeah. And then when hospitals hit a pandemic and they're like, we're not financially ready and we didn't stockpile anything, even though we've been told to for the last 10 or 15 or 25 years, which you and I have been nurses long enough to remember mm-hmm. when we've run out of N95s previously. Mm-hmm. Every time we use N95s, they've run out. We didn't know. Oh, no, yeah. you knew because this isn't. You did. You've, right. you've known. You have known in the lifetime of me being a nurse. This happens every time. We also have known. Yeah. Like, what were we doing thinking it was going to be different? This hit other places before it hit the U.S. And you had time to at least start preparing for this. But it was like, when it happened, they were like, oh, my God, that's so weird. We didn't know this was going to come here. We don't have anything ready. Like, I was like, "Uh." (laughs) you could have started planning for this, like, months ago, at least. You'd have something rather than it was so reactionary. Like, what are we going to do today? You know, like. They have lost their privilege to Mm -hmm. handle humans. Literally. Like you've lost your privilege. And it, then I think of that thought and then I see robots and I'm like, oh shit, maybe that's the goal. I don't know. I know. I, know. I don't even know. I mean, it sucks because like, I don't know what to do. Like it's so, it's hospitals and healthcare is such big business and there's so much money in it and they've gotten away with so much for so long that it feels like the thought of even changing the culture a little bit is so overwhelming because I'm like, I'm just one person, you know, like, what do I do? (laughs) How do I, how do I fix this? I think that's a really wonderful place to kind of wrap up. So I want you to help us close out this episode with what did help you feel empowered in these situations. So if anyone out there is listening who experienced the same thing or finds themselves in that situation now with the rise in, you know, the Delta cases, 
what what do you advise for them to do or what helped you through this situation that they might consider doing for themselves? You know, I think honestly what got me through, you know, that time acutely was just everyone that I worked with and having like my friends and my work family to lean on and support me because they the people that you work with understand it like better than anyone else can like you're you sometimes feel like your family and friends have no idea but it's the people that are going through it with you I think that kept me going and then I mean I don't know I I left like I I left that hospital to go travel because I basically said if I'm going to be treated like shit I'm at least going to get paid better for it like um, I don't know. I think a lot of people are doing that. And for a while, the money was enough incentive for me to continue to put up with it. And then I just got so burnt out that I ended up recently leaving bedside for a remote job. And I work from home now because I just couldn't do it anymore. And I think that, you know, I know there's a ton of people that are still in it and that are struggling. And for me, like, I just had to prioritize like my mental health because I couldn't, like, I couldn't, I couldn't go to work and feel good about like being treated like that anymore. And to me, it almost felt like doing that was like saying it was okay. And I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying that's what all nurses are doing. Like I admire everyone who still is the bedside truly, but like, it was just like, for me almost, it was like a personal protest. Like I was like, fuck this. Call me when you're ready to like, treat me like a human again, kind of thing. And I, that's just, that was the right choice for me. And I think that, you know, it took me a while to get there and a lot of like self-reflection, but like, don't, I just like, don't want people to feel like they have to be a slave to the hospital culture, to this toxic bullshit, to being treated like this. Like if you, you know, want to take a step back and go part-time because you're not getting your hours anyway, or PRN, or you want to go travel, or you want to go work from home or you want to quit nursing altogether or you love nursing and you want to stay at the bedside and just, you know, bitch about it to your friends. Like I did for a long time, like whatever it is, like you've got to take care of yourself. You have to, have to, have to take care of yourself. You don't owe the hospital anything. You don't owe, you don't owe anybody anything. Like just do what you have to do to get through it. But don't forget that like you are human as much as your, as much as your employer may not want you to feel like that you're a human and you have to take care of yourself. You have to prioritize your mental health and do what's right for you. Because if you're not doing that, you can't take care of anyone. Like it's so cliche, but like, I just got to a point where I was like, I'm not even taking the best care of my patients anymore. Cause I just feel like shit. Like, Go. So well said. It has a ripple effect. Yeah, yeah. you know, you um, you have to prioritize yourself because your employer is just not going to in the current state of the American mm-hmm. healthcare system. Yeah. You guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. If Elsie's story hit home with you and it inspired you to share your own story, we'd love to hear from you at pulsecheck.podcast on Instagram. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout which leads to costly loss of talent. 
how much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.